You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. JSC has closed its doors for another day, so it's time for the five o'clock shadow. And after weeks away on a selfless tour, fact-finding tour of Europe, is Joanne Balam from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. Sometimes in Cape Town, anyway. I'm being obviously a little bit facetious, Joanne, and I know from your your nature and having known you for a dozen years that you wouldn't have just gone on holiday. You would have been doing some fact-finding as well and soaking up some nuggets of information. What was it like? Because you must have just missed all of the heat that is suddenly headline news across the world. Okay, well, while we were there, it was incredibly hot. It was sort of 35 degrees, so I would call that a heat wave. But thankfully, we were not there at the time of all these terrible fires that are taking place. Um, it is very interesting if you look at the whole climate change issue and everyone's obviously getting very upset about it. You know, the world's burning, the world's falling apart. It depends who you read, because some people claim the world has been hotter before. But, you know, that's a whole climate change conversation we can go into for hours, and I won't bore people with that one. But in terms of your question, you know, kind of what nuggets did I uh, did I learn while I was there? Here's an interesting one for you. Go on. What I discovered overseas, the three most popular stores I saw anywhere were tattoo and piercing shops. Okay. Uh, Marrow marijuana shops which every second shop seems to be a marijuana shop and the third one was um iphone covers those seem to be the three most popular stores in europe okay let me ask you the obvious question (laughs) now did you get stoned and go and get a tattoo (laughs) well obviously not (laughs) but i did find that really interesting what it says about a society where you know those are the three most popular stores i saw so I don't know what that tells you, but interesting. Um, what I can say about Europe is it was absolutely packed. So uh, while you would know that people have been calling a recession now for the better part of 10 months, it was packed everywhere. And I'm not sure if that's still a COVID legacy that people just want to you know, get out of their houses and spend money because they weren't allowed to for so long. But it seems to be coming a bit long in the tooth. But but you did, yeah. Europe is absolutely bustling. And yet, and I'm sure you've seen this week, Lindsay, German PMI numbers are coming out, look terrible. Yes. Uh, loan growth in Europe is slowing. And, and you're based in Europe, but yet everything seems utterly packed. Uh, people seem to be spending money. Yes, they are spending money, but aren't they spending the right sort of money for the e- economy? I mean, I my view of this whole tourism boom is that people have suddenly said, okay, suddenly we can go away and we need to go to Greece, we need to go to southern Spain and we need to go to the south of France and that sort of thing. But eventually what's going to happen is they're going to sit down and say, no, actually, I've done it now and I don't want to do it next year. So I think that if you're a long-term investor, you look at the tourism industry and say to yourself, well, do I buy Ryanair or Jet2 or whatever other airline you can buy? Because uh, this is just a, a, a bubble that um, will has inflated and will burst. Because I don't know about you, but looking at the pictures on any international television station or listening to any podcast or radio station, I wouldn't want to book a holiday in Greece for next year. So that's that's got to have an impact on the sort of companies that have benefited from this this surge in the last six months or so. I, I think that is probably true. I, I, I think there has been, and people don't always want a holiday when they can't move and it's every street is packed and every restaurant is packed and you, you know, and it's all incredibly hot as well. Let's not forget that part because large parts of Europe don't seem to have aircon units. That seems to be something they're still working on. Um, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And the other issue is costs. It's become frighteningly expensive. 
And I don't know if that's because I'm wearing a South African hat and I'm paying in rands. But, you know, we stayed with my boyfriend's sister and she she's earning euros. And even she's saying things are expensive. So with a euro hat on, she's saying things are expensive. So I think there is been pent up demand, but things have got expensive. And, yeah, I probably wouldn't be surprised if Europe is a little bit quieter next year, not quite as frenzied. So if it becomes that expensive, like Croatia, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, sorry. Go, on, go on about Croatia. No, finish your, finish no, your no, analysis. No, no, I think there's certain parts of the world that have become very, very popular. I mean, what, what I'm hearing about Croatia was just crazy how packed it was. We didn't go there, but prices there were absolutely insane. So, you know, worlds, people move on. They all fall in love with Mykonos and they fall in love with Croatia or Ibiza or one of these areas. There are going to be pockets where they still have huge inflow of tourists. But I think you're probably right. I think... On a 12-month basis, we might see Europe a lot quieter. If you were the head of of tourism for South Africa, um, I sent out a tweet the other day, and and, and because I was watching, uh, because the cricket was washed out over the weekend, I was watching a program called South Africa from Above. It's a National Geographic program. It's really good. I mean, they they choose a country and they analyse it from above with drones and, and so forth. But also, it's also quite serious about the the beauty of a particular or the characteristics of a particular country and i thought to my, when i watched this i looked at all these places that i was familiar with for the 28 years that i was in south africa and i thought my goodness me this country is so beautiful and i thought well if greece is burning if italy is 45 degrees and so on and so forth then surely someone must sit down and say let's bring these people to south africa because if you if what you say is correct then south africa is like a, a bargain basement destination okay it's 10 11 hours more than you maybe want to um, uh, spend on an airplane but We've we've got we've got a gold mine here. We used to have gold mines. Now you've got a tourist gold mine. Why aren't we taking advantage of it? I think we're not taking advantage of it because our flights here are too expensive. I, I think that's part of the problem. You know, you go to Europe and it's so easy for someone from France to go to Spain, or from someone from the UK to go to Greece. You get in a plane, you're there in three hours. Okay, it takes a long time to come to South Africa, and it's very expensive. One of the things we should have been doing in South Africa is subsidizing tourists to come to this country because we know the stats, right? One tourist creates nine jobs. And once people have come here, you know, you meet people overseas who've been to South Africa, they cannot stop raving about it. Mm. All they can tell you is how incredible South Africa is every time you meet anyone overseas. So I think it's, it's a long destination journey. But then again, look at Australia. They get a huge number of tourists and it's not, it's not easy to get Australia either. So yeah, I think we have to make it cheaper for people to get here. And we need to open up more airplane routes. And we need to make our costs of flight here much cheaper. And I think that we get the tourists to come because it's very hard to compete with this place. It's unbelievable. Our food is fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I spend quite a bit of time in Spain. And anyone who's Spanish listening to this, please don't hate me. But I couldn't believe how dreadful the food was. Oh, no, come on. No, you can't. You must have gone to the wrong places <laughs> then, you and your boyfriend. <laughs> come on. You can't say that. If you if you go to uh, San compared, Sebastian, if you go com- to the Basque Country, if you go to, to Barcelona. No, please, Joanne. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the food here in South Africa is unbelievable. Um, the beaches are beautiful. We have a lot going for us. And not only that, people who want to go and see wildlife. No, there's a lot on offer here. It's not just come to South Africa, go to the beach. I, again, you, I don't know well, why we don't. This is what I've been saying. Did you hear my preamble to this? Of course, I'm. A, I'm. I would love to, to to work for the South African Tourism Board or something because I'm a. 
I'm, I'm, I'm so pro this country when it comes to tourism. It could be our biggest industry or one of our biggest industries. But I have to go back quickly before you go on, because I know you like to go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did you eat in Spain? Did you go to some English pub or something for bacon and eggs? <laughs> We need to move on from the food thing, but I think you make an interesting point about tourism. Mm. So in we went to the Costa Brava in Spain. There which you is go. That's a very, very po- popular tourist area. Mm. And when we asked the cab driver, how do you make money in, in this, these areas? He says 90% of our revenue comes from tourism. Okay. Now that country. So the question was, you know, how did you guys cope during COVID? And they said they really, really struggled. And you can see it from the odd shop closed down in various tourist spots because they clearly didn't make it. But in South Africa, our tourist numbers are tiny. Why? We're not even back to 2019 levels yet on tourists. It's picking up. But we're not there yet. So I think part of it has to be subsidising flights to South Africa. I think the government will get money back in heaps if they do that because every tourist that come here will tell their friends about this place. So I, I agree with you, Lindsay. I mean, it's you and I are not often optimistic about SA, but I think when it comes to tourism, we, we should be doing a lot more. Yes, we should. And so you've uniquely sidestepped the food story um, because it's a personal, <laughs> personal passion of mine. But let's have a look at the markets today. And I know you don't get into stock-specific stuff. Um, so let's look at a bigger picture now. Why is the rand so strong? The rand, dollar rand currently 17.59. Why, Joanne? Okay, so from what we're seeing is there's a huge demand from our SA bonds at the moment. Um, foreigners have been increasing their volumes and, and buying our bonds. Not hard to see when inflation is sort of coming down here and our real yields and offer are incredibly compelling. SA fixed income managers have been telling us for ages how cheap our bond market is. It would appear that foreigners are starting to recognize that. Um, you've also had quite a bit of dollar weakness lately. And if you look at the rhetoric on U.S. recession stories, which are reducing everywhere, and China came up with some good news this morning about trying to promote their economic growth numbers, you can see why global recession may be averted. I think the IMF has just come out or the World Bank have just upgraded their economic forecast for growth. Then you've got very strong bond yields here with very high real yields. And foreigners are probably starting to recognize that there's a good investment opportunity. So I, I think that's a lot of reasons behind recent RAND strength. And regardless of what we think about South Africa's long-term future, I think most people you speak to will tell you the RAND is um, undervalued. It doesn't mean it is the best investment you can make, but most people will tell you think it's undervalued. If you look at the constantly speak to people about the shrinking JSE, there's, there's a couple of camps, but the, the bigger camp is the one that says that the JSE is shrinking. So equities, although people say, well, the valuations are so cheap compared to overseas and, and so on, and it goes on, we, we don't need to talk about that too much unless you want to Um, but would you say then that the South African bond market is more attractive than the South African equity market? Look I think from a sharp ratio perspective uh, and what I mean by that I think the return for the risk you're taking I I think is more compelling in SA bonds and SA equities but when but the problem with SA equities is what do you mean by that statement because is Richmond an SA equity? No, it's not. It's Fashini. Yeah, exactly. But it, it falls under the bucket of SA equities. So when people come out and say SA equities are cheap, you've got to ask them what the hell do they mean by that? Do they mean Fashini, Truers, Apsas cheap? Or do they mean I want to buy all the, the Rand hedges? And it's a very nuanced conversation. So I, I think from a domestic perspective, as in assets that are predicated on economic growth in South Africa – I prefer SA bonds to SA Inc. 
only because I still continue to worry about load shedding and where the economic growth in this country is coming from. And I like the, sh- the sureness of a yield. So if I buy an SA bond, I'm getting myself 11%, 10.5% yields. I don't have to worry too much about it. It's a very attractive yield. And if I think inflation is under control and the Saab seems to be doing a good job from the point of view of you know curbing any growth in South Africa and killing any inflation, then, then you're probably safer in SA bonds. You clearly have got a lot more upside in SA Domestic Inc., but you've obviously got a lot more risk. So returns versus risk, I think SA bonds look much more attractive to me. When I talk about the JSE, I talk about, um, in this context of our conversation, I talk about Afrimat, ShopRite, Nedbank, Goldfields, Trueworths, that sort of thing. That That yes. is... But that is such a tiny, tiny universe. And unfortunately, it's shrinking. Look at the volumes on the JSC, Joanne. I talk to David Shapiro about it every single week, and he bangs on about it. But he's absolutely right. It is an ever-shrinking universe, an ever-decreasing circle. I, I, when I look at the JSC, I think it's telling you a lot about sentiment in South Africa. If, you, if people were truly bullish about this country and where it was growing then I think the JSE would be doing a lot better. But what people are saying, I mean, what retail clients are telling you, I don't want to have my money in South Africa. So they're taking as much money offshore as possible. Capital is leaving the country and there's less money to go in the JSE. And then on top of that, I've been interviewing uh, pension fund managers all week who um, look at impact investing. That's also another form of money leaving the JSE because people would rather put it into unlisted projects like schools, renewable energy, those sort of things rather than invest in local equities. So you've got a lot of pull on where does the capital go to? Capital either goes offshore, capital goes into unlisted investments, which give you a high inflation type return and do some good in the economy. And then you kind of look at the JSC and you've got SA bonds. So would you rather, where would you rather put your money? You probably put into SA bonds, you put into offshore assets. And if you really want to do good in South Africa, you put into impact investing. So it's getting harder and harder to justify the capital. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some great companies. I mean, you and I have spoken lots of times on this show, and I go and go, oh, I'm negative about South Africa, and the next week, the shares go flying. I'm not trying to time this from a short-term perspective. I'm just saying to you, I can understand why volumes are declining in South Africa, because ultimately, to have belief in the JSC, you need to have belief in the South African economy from the true words examples that you're talking about. Mm. And I'm still not seeing the drivers to generate strong GDP growth in South Africa. I still don't see it. And no. maybe mm. next year in elections and maybe the government will start saying the right things and maybe load shedding will be a thing of the past in two years' time. These are all possible. But, you know, I know you have chatted to people like Gail Daniel before who talk about the Chinese economy. You know, for a long time, South Africa did very well because China was doing very well. If China's growth rates disappoint in the next couple of years – what does that mean for the SA economy? Yeah, quite right. And we, we, when you when you look at the China GDP number or a China inflation rate of zero percent and PPI of minus five percent, whatever it is, you think to yourself, yeah, we are so vulnerable to other people. And again, it's a shrinking thing. It's a, my my new theme is ever decreasing circle for for South Africa. We're getting smaller and smaller and more easy to be pushed around. It will it will end at some stage. The, the cycle will be broken, but at the moment, yeah, I'm more confident it, about tourism is, than I am about the JSE. Uh, but that's that, that's me banging on again. Sorry, go off, off you go. No, no, no. I mean, I think we need to give new listing on the JSE. We have to have some new companies coming through. It cannot be sort of a mining index with a Chinese flavour to it. We need to have some new companies coming through. And 
and maybe there's some, you know, some intellectual capital company. Somebody was talking to me about Yoko the other day. It's a, a financial services app. I think you just tap it and you can trade money. That's something that's in the private equity space. Those sort of companies coming to the JSC will be very exciting. If we get some renewable energy companies coming to the JSC, yes. again, some new new flavor for it. But the, the market needs to have some new fresh blood, and we're not seeing it. So, yes, I, I think it's terribly worrying what's happening in the JSC. And on top of that, you have got people voting with their feet saying, I want to take my money offshore. Now, within the next 12 months, if that's right or wrong, it's very hard to call. But you've got to say to yourself – there's more choice offshore than there is in South Africa. Forget about the currency argument for 10 seconds. What kind of choice do we have here? Do I really want to buy SA domestic stocks like Fashini Truers? You know, pick and pay's results have been shocking lately. You know, maybe ShopRite did a bit better. But there's no growth in this economy. And what? how are we, get, how are we going to get growth? What policies and procedures have government implemented to create growth? I mean, the only department that seems to work really well in South Africa is SARS. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why can't we have a department that works properly, the Transnet? I mean, wasn't this weekend they were trying to get rid of Prav and Gordon? I mean, what are they playing at? Okay, you've started to go on the negative South Africa trend again, which I'm going to divert no, no, you from. No, 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 no. Look, I'm not negative SA bonds. I think SA bonds give you fantastic yield for the risk you're taking. I'm not in negative impact investing where there's big projects out there with very distant real yields will do good for this country. I'm not negative on global markets. I mean, I, I work for a company as well called Apollo, and we had our meeting today about the global equity markets. And yes, while admittedly we're, we're very nervous to buy the likes of NVIDIA and so these tech companies have done very well this year. If you look at a basket of shares offshore, you can buy a number of companies in P's of 10 and 11 growing at 10, 15%. That's very exciting. There are lots of great opportunities out there. But when it comes to the JSC, we need fresh blood. We need new ideas. And it cannot be a market predicated on a few domestic stocks and, you know, rand hedges. And it's very resource intensive still that the market needs to adapt. Why do people put money offshore? Because they want new ideas. Uh, to diversify, Not of course. Always. I mean, it, yes. it, it'll come back. If the rand went to 1950, 20 or whatever, they, they bring it back in again. You know, it's... it's, it's uh... Okay, but here's the interesting story, Lindsay. Go on. If the rand comes back to those levels, yes. what will rand hedges do? Because there's this great concept that, okay, you can buy the local market because the rand will strengthen, and that's better than buying offshore markets. But we have offshore shares just happen to be listed on South African markets. So if you think Richmond will do fine, you can buy it offshore. I mean, what I'm trying to highlight is unless your portfolio is completely in the SA Inc. basket, it's not obvious that a stronger round will lead to stronger SA equities. I understand that. And uh, I'm just trying to put a positive spin on certain aspects of the South African economy that are as yet sort of untapped. Anyway, uh, Joanne, I know you like... Well, okay, here's the positive story. Okay, here's the positive one. If you, and, and I said it much earlier. If you're looking for higher returns, then SA Inc. is probably the way to go, but you're going to take a lot more risk. You, the, the upside on some of these shares is going to be phenomenal if you're prepared to be patient and if you believe that the government will start doing the right things. Yes, if you, a lot of people I speak to tell me that the shares have more than priced in bad news. So there's one thing to talk about bad news. It's, is it in the price? And a number of SA fund managers I speak to tell me it is. 
I'm just saying, what's your portfolio construction around that opportunity set? Oh, no, Do just, you want to have 80% don't talk about, of your money in don't, it? Don't give me jargon like opportunity set. You've just said two things, which you've got to be patient, <laughs> number one. I'm too old to be patient. Number two, if the South African government, and then after you said, if the South African government, and then I, I switched off. Because if the South African <laughs> government has been a 25-year-old story, for goodness sake, Joanne. Look, I, okay, here's a positive spin if you mm. want to hear one. Yes, I've been interviewing, again, pension fund guys all week who are in the impact investing space. And they tell me they're pleasantly surprised by government initiatives on the impact investing side of the economy and that they're seeing very interesting projects coming their way, more bankable projects, and they're feeling very optimistic about the type of Good. investment opportunities. So there's a positive spin and, that, and they deal with governments a lot. And they say they're, they're pleasantly surprised by the conversations they're having. And it's definitely improved the last three years. So there's there's a positive story. Good. Um, Let's leave it if at we that. Privatize, if we pr privatise more SOEs in South Africa, yes, that could be very bullish for SA. But I guess where I'm coming from, from a diversification perspective, we, we don't have to be anti-South Africa to say we don't want all our money in South Africa. That's quite a prudent thing to do is not to have all your money in one country. That, that's where I'm coming from. And, and if you're looking for, you know, where are the best positions to be, well, SA Cash, SA Fixed Income is giving you very high yields. You don't have to go out in the high and the risk spectrum to make money. Let's leave it at that uh, on, on that positive <laughs> note. Before we get onto the markets, I know you're not a day-to-day -day, uh, uh, trader, but I have to do this because it's the five o'clock shadow. So let's have a look at the uh, the currencies to start with. Dollar Rand, very nice indeed. Uh, US dollar is 0.4% weaker against the Rand, which is now 1761. And wasn't that long ago that it was 1970, 1980? The uh, British pound against the Rand is 2263. Uh, Euro Rand is 1945, which is uh, Euro, which is 0.7% uh, 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 weaker against the Rand. Very good indeed. Uh, British pound against the US dollar is 128.50 and the euro dollar is 110.45 that was 112.45 uh, just about a week ago so the dollar uh, just coming under uh, yeah it not coming under pressure the euro coming under pressure uh, so that's a that's a really really big move uh, on the commodities front we're a commodity based uh, currency we're a commodity based economy apparently 1963 uh, for the gold price which is up to uh, the platinum price is up 14 to 975 the palladium price is down 11 to 1280 now other important commodities not just from a south african perspective but also from a world expect uh, perspective uh, let's have a look now Crude oil in the United States, $79.19, that's West Texas crude. The Brent crude oil price is up around about a quarter of a percent to $82.92. Natural gas prices are flat. The wheat price over the last few days has gone through the roof, but today is flat. So commodities with the US dollar machinations, is they've generally been quite positive. Now then, yeah, go on. No, no, I, it's just an interesting point that the markets have pretty much said, you know, inflation is dead and buried, don't worry about it anymore. Yeah. And yet, in the background, you've got all these commodity prices starting to rise again. Good point. But making the Fed's job quite making the Fed's job quite tricky. No, it is very, very, very important what's happened in the last uh, seven to ten trading days uh, because uh, the oil price going from 75 to 82 
uh, is actually very, very important uh, for long-term figures, which is, I, th I think, why the Fed is going to be very, very cautious about saying it's all over, we're going to cut rates in the future. US 10-year bond yield, maybe because of the commodity prices, 3.90%, a 4.5 basis point move to the upside, or in real terms, 1.1%. The South African 10-year, on the other hand, is uh, 10.28. That's pretty good. It was 11.28 not that long ago and what else have we got here we've got the s p 500 futures uh, s p traders don't care a fig about what we're saying uh, 4589 <laughs> which is uh, you know okay it was 4600 plus um two days ago but uh re doing really really well and finally bitcoin if you care about it uh, 29193 which is up a third of a percent i saw something today joanne which mm -hmm. which may be despair. It was about um, it was about a cryptocurrency where you've got it. I you know this is this is me. I'm a luddite. Uh, talking about eye recognition for for for, for crypto by some uh, a clever fellow. I don't know if you've seen that story. You've probably been too busy with uh, fixed income funds and that sort of thing. But I, I, I missed that story. Tell me what it is. I don't know. That's the whole point. Because I immediately oh. I saw it. <laughs> okay. I switched off. But when I when I hear about artificial, if, if I hear one more story about artificial intelligence or, or augmented reality or someone trading currencies with an with an eye recognition system, I just I despair and I just want to go into a field and and grow some goats and um, produce some wheat and and and. <laughs> I'm serious. And trade with my neighbour next door, my neighbour farmer. I want to go back to basics, but that's that. That's me. What do you think well, about you this always... whole I, AI um, business? What is your attitude towards it, briefly? Oh, oh, just very quickly. I see Dave Shapiro and I have been debating on Twitter today because I read a very interesting article from a company called Havelock. They run a global value fund. Yeah. And, and looking at the different, you know, like what does um, Nvidia have to do right to justify the current share price? Or put differently, if you kind of assume certain margins and growth rates and assume it goes back to an average P over time, which most large tech companies do. I mean, currently, NVIDIA is on a P, of, don't quote me on this, like 250, 280 times or something. Mm. And its long-term average has been closer to 28, you know, prior to the whole AI story. Um, if it goes back to its long-term averages uh, and assuming this company grows by, 20% sales revenue a year for the next 10 years and its margins double, you will make 4% a year if you buy it at current levels. If it goes, and the, the point being, if you buy a company at an incredibly elevated PE ratio, it has to do an awful lot right for you to even try and make money going forward. It's, it's, it's the same for every company that's ever happened in markets. And, and everyone seems to think a video is going to be different. It won't be different. In 10 years' time, you'll look back and people go, what on earth were we doing? We saw it in Japan in 89 when the market peaked. We saw it in the US in 2000. It took, took years and years and years for these companies to come back to their share prices. But right now, to answer your very, the long-winded answer to your question, yeah. I, think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of mania around these things. It, prob it could double from here, who knows, because there's so much mania around. But I think at some point you're going to lose a lot of money. But what you're saying is that it's 10 times higher from a valuation basis, a, a PE basis, than it was whatever the time period that you were talking about a couple of years ago. Yes. 10 times yeah. higher. Yeah, you see it. Yeah, I mean, happens. it's it's no price to sales ratio. I mean, again, don't quote me, I'm probably wrong on this, of 40 times. You know, like, you, you've got to at some point think, it, like, here's another example. Every time another company on the 
in the NASDAQ mentions AI, its share price goes up by $20, $30 billion or something ridiculous. Surely at the market argument that if there's competition, margins fall, how can they each one of them go up massively? Surely at some point people go, well, there's competition now for these chips or AI or something. They can't all keep going up. You, you can't go to the moon on these share prices. Something's got to give. And again, what, what I did realize, the interesting thing I learned on holiday is that maybe we're in 98, 99. We're not at the peak yet and this market could rally still further. Maybe we're 2006, 2000, before, not 2007. You know, the market kept became more and more irrational. Maybe that's where we're at the moment. You can't fight it. Don't fight the tape. And the market wants to be bullish. But, I mean, some of these valuations make no sense. Uh, talking about making no sense, here's something for you. Uh, because this, we've gone from AI uh, to Anglo. It says here, Anglo-American South African Iron Ore Unit, uh, that's Cumbra, of course, said collaboration between private investors and government could help resolve mounting rail bottlenecks which are forcing to, it to stockpile more iron ore at its mines. Combine or said those stockpiles have grown to 7.9 million tonnes from 7.8 as of December last year, forcing the company to cut back on mining activities and reduce its sales forecast. Okay, so I think reduce its sales forecast, that sounds negative to me. Increased cooperation, I'll go on with the government, uh, through the National Logistics Crisis Committee, I didn't know that existed, uh, could ease South Africa's rail problems, which include locomotive shortages, and so it goes on. The point here is that the share price on the close up close to 12%. 12% for Kumba Iron Ore. After what you've just read, would you believe that, Joanne? Well, you would when you look at what China came out with this morning and said so they're going to try and support their property market. So, so yes, uh, you would an believe that. And... Uh, yeah. a, a, an empty an empty apartment block in some uh, far-flung region of China has influenced Kumba Iron Ore. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying that because the, these commodity shares regularly move up by those kind of margins. You often see these things going up 8-10% in a day. It's not the first time we've seen this. Okay. And perhaps so people are pricing in. I mean, to the earlier conversation we had about, I said, where is growth coming from if government, I think is the comments I used. Well, a private enterprise step up, and, and it sounds to me in this example they're forced to because they need to get their stuff to market. That's actually good news for South Africa. It's good news for Kumbu. It's good news for the country. <laughs> they're all good news stories. I mean, it's not impossible the private enterprise can't help solve a lot of the problems we're having in South Africa at the moment. And maybe I am being too negative about the future growth of this country. But when you hear maybe the market's telling you, they like that story. Well, the story that you're hearing is... Uh China story, not a South Africa internal well, no, uh, policy I'm, I'm, story. Look, I'm not a stock picker. I'm not a stock picker, Lindsay, as you know. And anyone listening to this will say, "What is this woman talking about?" But I'm just saying to you, when you have positive Chinese news coming out, often our commodity shares seem to enjoy that. That, that has historically been the case. If Kumba can now work with government to increase the rail story, maybe that's good for Kumba's share price. I don't know. I don't follow these companies, but I'd say simplistically that might be true. Also, if the rand is stronger, maybe it's often the rand is stronger when Chinese news flow is better. That's also a true statement. So all of these things are coming together. I, I have no idea if Kumba is cheap or expensive, but we do know commodity shares regularly move up by these kind of margins. Well, I can tell you it's more expensive than it was yesterday because on the JSE today, <laughs> Kumba Iron Ore up 11.56%, just to be precise. Uh, Anglo-American PLC 
4.6% higher. South 32, 4.2% up. And BHP Group uh, tagging along on the coattails, 4.2% up as well. On the downside, we've got RCL, the food producer, uh, down 5.5%. Uh, Investec PLC down 2.25%. Resilient down 2.1%. And Investec Limited down 2.1%. So you don't pick stocks, you pick themes, Joanne. Uh, we look more at asset classes and long-term uh, forecasts for clients. So if a client is young and, and has a high-risk appetite, we tend to have higher equities. We tend to look at which part of the markets we like to be invested in. So we look, we look at things like growth and value and those sort of things. For, for us personally at Sterling at the moment, we, we have a bigger bias towards value because some of these growth shares just seem crazy to us. Yeah. You know, we've been in markets for a long time. I mean, this feels eerily like 2000 in a lot of ways where you have like mania around certain things. Now, I'm not saying the companies today aren't better than they were in 2000. I think they are. And you know a lot of tech companies have fantastic cash flow. But just some of these valuations just seem ridiculous. Well, the, uh, interesting fact for yeah. you, uh, I don't know if it's interesting or not, but it was to me, in the last two weeks, energy shares have outperformed tech shares. And we are seeing quite a lot of um, sector rotation take place where people are moving out of what's done really well in the first six months of this year and moving into sort of value companies. So maybe we'll see a diff very different second half to the first, but who knows? <laughs> Trying to time markets is impossible. Well, I would just say that if you're looking at energy shares and you look at Aramco in Saudi Arabia, the amount of money that they're trying to pay for uh, Kylian Mbappe, who's a footballer, by the way. I know you're not a football fan. Uh, they're trying to pay 300 yes. million euros uh, for him. I would say if they keep on splashing out that sort of money, maybe have a quick look at uh, Aramco and say, yeah, maybe it, 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 it's not such a great value proposition. Um, on the JSC today, resources stocks are the standout performers, up two and a bit percent, 2.22 percent, in fact. Um, JSC Industrial Index was 0.9 percent higher nearly. Financials, though, fell a quarter of a percent. The top 40 up nearly a percent to 72,212, and the all share up just about 1 percent to 77,500. And 26, Joanne, the things that you don't look at on a daily basis. But a nice day. Just another comment there. Often as prices go up, investors want to buy more. So in terms of your liquidity argument around the JSC, if we get a couple of good days of trading, you might bizarrely find volume start to pick up again. That's just human behavior. Thank you very much for that psychologist analysis. <laughs> it's true, though. Of markets. And welcome back, Joanne. It's good to have you back after your 17-week sojourn to Europe. Thank you, Lindsay. Have a lovely evening. Joanne Vaynum is from Sterling Private Wealth. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.